From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 115 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Dave and Brian. We are enjoying warming weather, slightly warmer here than elsewhere, but uh... I think we, but we're all simultaneously having nice weather, which is like a, a thing. <laughs> Carl said out loud, it was only 105 the other day and, and actually intended to use the word only. That is, <laughs> that is what we call acclamation. It's a little early for the 100s here, but it's not unheard of. So, uh, but you know, the, in California, there's a saying that, uh, you know, our, our budget theoretically is supposed to be done by June 30th, right? right. But there's a saying that uh, we can't have a budget until it's 100 degrees. Right. So <laughs> there are years where it doesn't become a budget until, you know, July. <laughs> and up here in Washington, the, the, the local saying is just celebrate every day as though the mountain were out. Because if the sky is blue enough and you can see Mount Rainier in the background, you know it's a good day outside. That's a good point. We've been, we've been seeing the mountain every day for a week now. And we're, we're all getting a little bit giddy and, yes, sunburned because it is possible for those of us who are uh, particularly prone to this, to get a sunburn when it's 68 degrees, and, and it doesn't have to be 100. Well, on Saturday, I went out to the river, ate uh, on one of these little floating restaurants on the river. Boats were going by. Everybody was happy. It was like normal. It was almost like normal, right? And that, I swear, I think that's good enough for me right now. I don't remember what normal was, so almost like normal. I went to a baseball game. I went to a soccer game. I, I ate outside. It's like, come on, man. This, I'm, I'm giddy with all of this springtime stuff. I keep, I keep telling anywhere we go anywhere. I keep, keep doing the comment of this is the first time I've done so and so in a year, a year and a half. Like it's, I like, I keep having all of these these things where I'm doing that again. Although I will, no, no in depth today, but it's the I might be inside for a little while. The bugs are very noisy with those cicadas right now. <laughs> We've got a couple more weeks of the real, real interesting time. So I might be inside a touch more despite the nice weather because it's very loud. We should have a, a cicada watch graphic for our website. Oh, I'm so, and I, I'm sure there's tons of it for the area because, of course, it's quite the fascination in this whole area. But, but the weather's nice. I'm getting back out to do stuff, which is great fun. And I hope our listeners are seeing some of the same stuff. Um, and as we keep saying, get vaccinated if you haven't. Please get vaccinated. Well, this week we are brought to you by our friends at PCMatic. Think you know PCMatic? Think again. PCMatic is working with MSPs to deliver true zero trust default deny endpoint security allowing only trusted applications and blocking all the rest a lightweight simple to deploy and easy to manage approach to application allow listing layering a default deny approach provides msps of all sizes the ability to again focus on prevention and pcmatic delivers this without impacting performance or efficiency find out more by visiting pcmatic.com msp so 
gonna dive in. I will take on the first one today because it's all about Amazon devices and IoT. Is the guy with all of the devices all over his house. Uh, so Amazon is now rolling out their wireless mesh offering which allows for those that are using the sidewalk technology to use those devices and to jump on to the available wireless points that they detect. And so they get this nationwide or worldwide mesh network, which essentially allows them to borrow a piece of your internet connectivity for these devices. And it's rolling out now. So the, the big question will be is, is you guys allow other people to share the, your your internet in this specific application. So, for example, companies like Tile are now able to use their Tile apps. You know, can can connect to these devices and use location that way. And then, more importantly, if you know, if Amazon, how about Apple? And are the two different? I know I've got my opinion on this one, but I will throw it out first for you. Well. I will say, so I have Comcast, and if you have a Comcast-provided router, their standard for several years now has been they provide a public access internet off of your router. They say it doesn't affect your bandwidth. I don't know that I believe them because it's Comcast. But <laughs> right. Uh, my question wasn't about that, but it was about how much do I trust them blindly to simply secure my network when I know a piece of it is public. So luckily, I live in an area where I'm allowed to buy my own router, and that's what I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so nobody walking down the street can connect to my uh, wireless router. See, and Carl, I had exactly the same reaction the very first day that I acquired a Comcast router. We, we've upgraded since then to whatever commercial class stuff that, that, that is presently making noise in the corner of my office. But uh, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely not the Comcast one. And when it was, it definitely did not have the public channel open on it. Not because I was concerned about the bandwidth hog. I was concerned about the security access. And I will say on the flip side of that, to make this perfectly uh, consumer oriented in today's modern world, I have many times logged on to that Xfinity public Wi-Fi network on other people's devices with bring my own VPN, right? So I, I feel comfortable using it when I am out and about in the world because I like free Wi-Fi without having to uh, you know, pay for an extra device to take with me. And I think that's the problem that we have. Everybody loves the idea of having access to everybody else's bandwidth. They just don't want to share any of their own bandwidth with anybody else, which is why I wonder whether or not any of these publicly available services will actually work. Will they get enough opt-in? It's really, well, it is opt-in by default, so you have to specifically See, turn and it that, off. That's an extra layer on this one. It's not opt-in, it's opt-out, or else they're going to use your they're stuff. They're going to. So, and it's funny, because I, I recognize my own uh, weird decisions on this place, because I have I have Amazon devices all over my house, so they are always in range of my, you know the ability to talk to. So I have microphones everywhere, yet I turned this feature off. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, and I freely admit that, that I've, I've turned it off, and but I am at the same time completely comfortable with Apple and their AirTags technology, where I know my phone is detecting other AirTags and reporting that back to Apple. Uh, 
why the difference? And, and I, I wrestle with this a little bit because it's about, um, for me, it's about the, a certain level of control. I'm comfortable with the microphones because I know I've, I've done and other engineers have done sort of the, the looking to understand what the communication is, what data is being transmitted. And at some level, I'm getting utility out of that. Um, I also, you know, but, but the reason I turned off Amazon Sidewalk on my devices is that I am not comfortable with the, their kind of open approach to anybody can do their standard and I don't get necessarily get insight to it. And I don't really have comfort levels with that. And Apple, the reason I'm comfortable with Apple is just the investment that they have made, at least publicly, and the way they're positioning around privacy and data integration, but, but ultimately, because of the way I know they make money. I think Apple, may, Apple makes money off the fact that they are selling the device, whereas a, a company like Amazon is, is much more in the data business. They are much more in the data business and they make money off the data. And thus, uh, if I'm getting utility, i.e. the microphones, I'm comfortable with that. If I'm not getting utility with it, I'm not necessarily willing to do that. So a couple notes. One is that the amount of bandwidth an individual can get is, 10, is 80K per device. So it's right. not huge. It's not like they're going to be sitting in your front lawn streaming, uh, you know, Netflix. The other thing is more and more, I think this is the future that we are going to expect the kind of connectivity that mesh devices allow. For example, you know, your phone is sometimes better at knowing where you are on a map without GPS enabled than with GPS enabled because as you drive through town, if you have your network on, DHCP passes location data to the phone even if you never connect. You just drive by and it's trying to connect, trying to connect, trying to connect. It knows where you are. And so those kind of background subtle services are only made possible when enough people accidentally opt in. <laughs> well, and, and, and I will completely agree with that strategy, right? The very first time I ever sat in a room and heard a pitch about 5G years ago, there was a companion presentation about mesh networks and the, all the passive devices that are out there that can share a tiny fraction and give us that ubiquitous broadband access no matter where you are. No more need to look for broadband because broadband it will eventually be like radio and just be everywhere. I buy that philosophy much more than I buy anything that is a single provider trying to stand up towers or dig trenches or bring a service to me. Uh, we've seen, uh, you guys remember years ago when Google thought it was going to be cool to bring fiber to the world and you were going to have legit fiber gig speed to your house. And they did that in 16 cities and then they stopped because they realized going to city council meetings and asking for permission to dig up the streets is hard and they did it didn't matter how good you are at the data and at the technology the the rights of way and the franchise requirements was very very difficult that's why i still believe ultimately as long as we have individual branded providers of broadband then we will not get universal coverage we can get universal coverage if we go to something like mesh so this is a step in the right direction i just don't necessarily 
trust the guys who are doing this particular thing. Well, again, it's for me it's all about it's all about financial incentives and I'm I am less comfortable with Amazon's financial incentives in this case based on the utility that they're providing to me versus versus in, in this case comparison case Apple um, as well as even when we compare against a Verizon or a you know a Comcast or along those lines they are less in the data business than for example again an Amazon or a Google and I think for me the the takeaway thus is is like everyone's going to make their own determinations on this this space it's about understanding the incentives and the motivations of those that you're doing business with and finding the ones that you're most in alignment with. That's going to ultimately be the way that this is done. And by the way, the value for providers is to be that person or that organization for your own customers. Very good. Excellent. All right. Let's let's dive into our second topic here. One that's gonna get me perhaps to drop a curse word. Um, no. the, that's the why we put it on the that's why we put it on the list. Is we knew I know. This, this is this one of those that, that I think well so a year or so ago we started a conversation around the fact that everybody is now working remote and we've seen evolution obviously over the last year some people are staying remote some are going back in there's going to be a ton of hybrid but through this process we have seen the rise of what we are referring to as digital lease leash technologies where bosses are able to monitor the uh, attendance and the attention and the performance of their remote workers. This, uh, the article that we're pointing to in here talks about some of the, the, the more advanced technologies that are being applied to this function and how AI is going to suddenly make it more and more efficient. If you are, if you are connected to the internet, they can now tell not just who you are, but what you are doing and how deeply you are paying attention to the task that you have been assigned. I, I have some opinions about this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this before I say a curse word, because I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's thought about it. <laughs> well, it, it, if the word is a-hole, I totally agree with you. The, um, <laughs> that, one, that one's on the list. <laughs> The, the interesting thing for me is that this isn't a particularly new thing. There have always been bosses who just, they, they want people to work ridiculous hours and be on all the time and all that kind of stuff. My daughter just moved from a company like this to a company completely not like this. And even though her new company is 100% remote, nobody will ever go into the office they basically are like, hey, you know, I saw that you were on after five yesterday. You really need to take time for your family. And she was like, oh, I have the right employer. And so, you know, this is all about what company you choose to be part of. And, you know, especially in IT, I got to say, uh, we can choose to not work for companies who do these sorts of things. Or be those kinds of companies. So or be those from for me, this is this is one of those bits where at times uh, it's a solution looking for a problem for a lot for for the kinds of organizations that I want to embrace. So I look at this and say like this is a way of compensating for bad management. If you're oh, if yeah. you if you need digital leash style technology, you need to track users or or like ultimately you've something else is broken in the business the incentive again the incentive structures the management structures the like there there are things broken when you need this 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I tend to be a, a person who believes you invest in people, you, uh, that, is a, that is money well spent, that you, you, you empower them, you create environments where they can thrive, and you will, you will benefit because of that. These kinds of technologies are kind of the antithesis of that. So I've never been a fan. And I, I look and say, I can immediately identify that if, I, if those systems are necessary, there is something broken about the organization. Well, and uh, it may system, be intentional, right? Like it, it's. I would say the system's never necessary. There is this thing that we do where sometimes we say, what are your KPIs? Let's gather some information. Let's measure what we're doing. You know, this sort of behavior represents this sort of productivity. And then somehow the measure becomes the target. Yes. And when that happens, we have taken a turn that may be unrelated to actually producing results within our own companies. And that is just, that's a natural thing that happens in quote unquote management. But the other thing is that this, this is all about assuming that minutes in front of a monitor represent productivity. And again, not what you should be measuring. <laughs> right. It's, it's not, it's not the, I mean, you're, what you're doing is you're abstracting too, right? You're trying, you're trying to make the assumption that by being at the monitor, they're more productive or, or, or that's the time they're working. It's like, but you create systems that, that motivate people to game them versus, right. versus what you actually are trying to get to. And it is, it is harder, but better to make the proper investments in training and selecting the right people and being careful about that, you know, about your selection of people and their motivations of that. I often find the other thing that is uh, scary for some, but very liberating, is to generally assume people are gonna do the right thing. Like it, it, it has been my experience that creating situation, trust situations, I am more often rewarded than I am hurt. By, by making those choices, by empowering people, by giving them the opportunity to do those things. It's scary for those that like to be in control. And like, but, but more often than not, I'm rewarded by trusting people more than, uh, than not. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe in trust, but verify, right? I'm not necessarily saying that this is, this is wide open, but creating cultures that work that way for me is is what i'm looking for and i just i just i push back on this whole space because i just go you're you're mopping over a problem that is something else well, right you, you've got a rant in here yes <laughs> I, I do and and it begins where you began dave because it is about if you are a shitty manager you will try to gloss over that by making it impossible for your people not to do their jobs effectively or suffer some bitter consequence. And I go back to the fundamentals of economics and a capitalist system. If you understand incentive and reward, you can map an environment where people naturally want to do what you want them to do. And that's the situation where everybody gets to be happy and satisfied with the exchange. It doesn't have to be zero sum. You give me more time and therefore you feel worse about giving me more time. No, you can create an environment on purpose with a mixture of cultural and economic incentives that make people want to do better for you. But if you just break it down to you either hit this number or you are punished, that's that's not the people's problem. That's the manager's problem or the environment that they are working in. 
think about it like this. It was 1999, and I was running an ad agency marketing consulting firm uh, based in Denver, Colorado, and we were a 24-person organization, and we were looking to expand aggressively, and we wanted to hire salespeople who would go out and sell the things that we did, professional services, uh, more advanced than just product transactions, and we asked the question, how would you pay a person to produce the best possible results? And in 1999, it was really hard to find anybody who had much of an answer at all on that topic. And every single day since 1999, that's been one of the things that sticks in my brain and I have been studying it nonstop since then. It is possible to create an environment of rewards and recognition that will make a person want to do the right thing. But as soon as you turn that into a punishment instead of an incentive, now you force the people to find ways around it, right? The, the first thing we always say about sales compensation in particular, you will step number one change your compensation plan and step number two watch productivity plummet for a period of time while all of your salespeople sit around trying to figure out how to game the shortest distance between least amount of effort and maximum amount of return you have to plan for that kind of stuff and engineer around it this kind of technology and again it's pretty advanced and impressive technologies that are allowing them to track some of these things. The science of eye tracking and pupil dilation and interpreting emotions and all of this stuff, that then turns into a measurement of productivity. And my answer is you are just getting a really expensive way to advertise to everybody that they do not want to work for you. <laughs> Look, there, there were a lot of nuggets in that one for, for listeners in terms of sales compensation and motivation. So I will you know, say that there's a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, for me, the bottom line is that you should motivate people to produce outcomes that matter, not behaviors that can be measured for some arbitrary reasons. Yeah, anyway, so <clears throat> moving on to our third topic. So this is kind of in some ways a little bit scary as well and it is about the combination of emotion detection and ai so this is a story we're going to point to a merger between artificial intelligence and eye tracking technologies so the theory is they'll be able to tell whether or not you are an aggressive driver who's in a really bad mood or uh, whether everything is pleasant and delightful. But you can see it outside of the automotive industry as well, that if you can track eyes and determine emotions, that might affect your customer service response, your sales response. Um, I sort of think this is technology that is fundamentally it, it, there's no way to use it without using it against the person you're observing. Right? There, is, there doesn't seem to be a, a benign way to use this technology to help the person who's being observed. But maybe I could be wrong on that. This, you know, this is one where you're just like, you know, the, the just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. 
I, I, I look at this and I said, like, at initial glance, I'm like, I can see some ideas, right? The idea of, in particular, you know, a driver, and if you're, if you're upset or if you're like you're in a place that you shouldn't, maybe, maybe. But I keep getting back to, wow, there's so much to this that I'm just not comfortable with the way that it might impose uh, on individual humans that I, that that really just sort of gives me the heebie-jeebies um you know I, and i say this often and i'm going to use this as an opportunity to say it i believe there is real value in offering a service to your customers where you help them understand the negative implications of technology in their business to think about them because oftentimes it does not seem like we spend enough time thinking about that. <laughs> this is right. one of those areas where I just look and I go, yeah, I'm not sure we've thought this one through. Uh, and uh, spending some time doing that well, I think is a good investment because it will actually end up making the technology better from an adoption perspective because it will have that thoroughness to it. See, and if you think about the technology or the, the, the technical practice of eye tracking, right? Uh, uh, for many years in the world of advertising and graphic design, there's been a practice where I can watch your pupils and I will show you an ad on a screen and then I can measure where do you look first, where do you look second, what is the pattern that you follow and what is the duration that you pause and I can identify some culturally based, you know, Western societies, Eastern societies of where you are most likely to begin and where you will go from there, right? Now, all of that has been used for enough years that it's reasonably well-established science, except for the one basic question that I remember hearing when I was a 19-year-old in a university course talking about this idea. Well, how do you know if I'm looking at that thing for a good reason or for not a good reason? In other words, did my eye linger on your logo because it was particularly gracefully designed and I found it interesting to look at? Or am I staring at that thing on your pricing list because I think, what in the heck are you guys trying to charge me? I can't figure it out and I have to stare at it. This is an evolution forward. And, and I was fascinated especially by the fact that this is an automotive technology company. My very first thought process on this was, imagine if your car could tell when you were pissed. And then you know, make the brakes a little more touchy and, and take a little bit of the oomph out of your accelerator and maybe make it so you can't quite so easily roll down your windows and shout obscenities at other people in traffic, right? A, a robot in your car that not only gives you an optimal performance experience, but could actually be used to manage road rage. Hey, that's really cool until I go back to the movie Minority Report and I think anything that can be used to interpret humans without the context of humanity is going to get most of those emotions wrong and they're not going to use it for what they thought they were going to use it for. You guys have seen plenty of the you know, customer service robots and you know oh, yeah. there are images in a retail store where it's just a, a woman's face and body but she can speak back to you and it kind of looks like a person if that person could tell i was happy or sad or i was excited or whatever i might get a little bit better customer service out of it in the pro column 
in the con column, uh, like you said, Carl, I don't know how you're going to use this technology in any meaningful way that somebody couldn't turn it to the dark side. <laughs> so I just want to throw out a, the, the, you know, my foul flag and just note that you have used up all your minority report references for 2021. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You may not mention that again on this podcast. All of those technologies are real now. Ryan needs so, to go watch another movie. It is a great, great one to reference from. But we need another. You can, go to Snow Crash or go to. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So go to the source material. Um, the the interesting thing is that the example that you gave about how do you respond? Like if I'm driving and I'm angry or I'm in a panic or whatever, maybe what I need is a little extra emphasis on the gas so I can get out of this situation and avoid the, the semi that's moving over into my lane. Maybe the brakes aren't always the answer. Uh, maybe if you know certain eye measurements are on, ACDC goes off the radio and up comes the smooth jazz, right? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it does seem to me that you make assumptions about how people are behaving. There's That AI better be pretty heavy on the intelligence before I let the car decide that it's going to limit my behavior. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's some, there's something, it's the, you know, and, and look, again, you, you have to be careful, you don't design for the edge cases, but there is a certain degree of real scariness about the potential edge cases, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the balance that this is difficult. I, it's one thing to have it offer information. It's a second for it to take control. Like, so for example, if it offers, maybe you're just like my car, just a silly thing, you know, like drive too far, it'll, it'll say, you've been driving for three hours. Do you need a coffee break? Right. And sometimes it, like that's you, often, it can be useful information, right? Where you're just like, you know what? Maybe I do need to take it. Like I had not realized I was driving three hours, but there's a difference between it offering me insights versus taking control. And I think that's the line that, that I, I want to make sure is, is again, I like data and I like information that allows me to make better decisions, but I don't necessarily like it when it's taking the decision away from me. And totally. I think that's for me to, to it, it is interesting how this is growing up literally in parallel to us just about to give up total control and let the car drive itself. Or like these two things are happening at exactly the same time. Yeah. See, and maybe <laughs> maybe this is a good time for us to open this conversation up to the audience and say the three of us cynical individuals look at this report of technology and say, "Hmm, I suspect your motives and I'm not quite sure. We're ready to give you control." But I'll bet somebody can think of a good application of emotion sensing robots that are able to interact with you in a more natural, humanistic kind of way. Uh, again, without all the sci-fi books on the shelf back there uh, having to come into play. What are the applications for this technology that would be a good thing? If you guys out there in listener land have an idea, we would love to hear that kind of a conversation. Yes, indeed. And not just talk to us, but also share it with your friends, share the podcast, tell people that you enjoyed this podcast. Oh, no, I was going to say, we really do appreciate it. And and here, if you've got a thought, hit us up on social. Let us know what you think, because uh, we certainly didn't solve this one, but I think for some perspective would be helpful. We solved so little, but it's still worth listening. And thank you for listening to episode 115 of the Killing It 
Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.